All right. Well, welcome to the What Matters podcast, the Josh Homark podcast. If you have never been on the show before or listened to the show before, welcome. If you haven't heard the uh, Financial Confidence podcast, get to there. You can also find that as one of my other podcasts. Uh, so if you want to learn about money, that's on the Financial Confidence podcast. You want to talk entrepreneurship and people's lives, the five pillars, right, of our faith, family, finances, fitness, and friends. If you want to talk about that, that's what we do here. So today I've got my uh, special guest. We've got another female on the show. Luckily, I've had so many men on this show already. <laughs> um, so another great female here in Lake County. Uh, Indiana, who's doing some really, really cool stuff and runs uh, a really fun life that we're going to hear about as well. Uh, so uh, the executive director of the nonprofit that my wife helped to start, uh, Mommy's Haven, and now the executive director runs things, runs the day, uh, makes everything happen that is Mommy's Haven that you'll learn about here in a little bit, is a good friend, client. I don't know. We go back quite a ways now, uh, but Katie Camus. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. Um, so it's, it's always kind of weird because we know each other. Yeah. So then you're like, okay, we're going to get official on yes. some topic. Let me give you all my details. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so where did we always kind of start like high school? Um, I know your brother uh, a little bit. I know yeah. Jason a little bit. Um, and so I know you came from the area, but that's really all I know. I don't really know where you went to high school. I don't know any of that. So like, let's talk high school and kind of how we'll, we'll work up to how do you got to mommy's haven? Now. All right. There's quite a few years in between that. So, uh, yeah. I went to Hanover central. So we were in Cedar Lake, um, graduated in 2005, uh, which seems hey, like a long time than, ago. That's younger than me, so you're good. <laughs> yeah, you know, my daughter always has to remind me, I'm always going to be 20 years older than her. So the older she gets, the older the older I feel. Right. But uh, yeah, so graduated 2005, um, went to IUN um, as a psych major. Okay. And uh, had my daughter after my freshman year. Okay. So change of plans in life at that point. Yep. Um, and then I finished my bachelor's degree at St. Mary of the Woods. Um, they had an online bachelor's program. So I finished that there. Because okay. in St. Mary's in St. John or St. Uh, South Bend? Terre Haute. Or Terre Haute. Yep. Oh, I'm mixing up with the other girls' school. In- that is St. Mary's. But St. this Mary's. is of the woods. Of the woods. Yes. Okay. And it has its own town apparently. So it's not Terre Haute. Wow. Okay. You can't find it on a map. Wow. Yeah. They have their own zip code. Yes. Okay. A very small one. Yes. <laughs> um Okay, cool. So then you so your degree again was what they in psych so I have a bachelor's of science in psychology. Okay. Very cool. Uh so then you've wrapped that up. How old are you when that because you had a kid. Yeah. So like I'm sure that like detoured. Yeah. yeah. So um, I had my oldest, and um, during that time, I was you know determined to not um, be another teen mom statistic. Yeah. Um, I wanted to take care of her on my own and make sure she had a good life. Um, so my goal at that point was. What can I do career-wise that's going to allow me to continue my education but work 
normal job hours so that she can be in daycare with a babysitter, um, things like that. So I actually went and got my associate's degree um, in applied sciences and then got a job working in pediatrics as a medical assistant. Um, So I did that kind of in between and um, did that really until um, I had Jacob, my second And then another one right after that. Um, So I actually graduated. I'm trying to think. I didn't have my third yet. So I finished my bachelor's degree in between babies two and three. Okay. Um, I think I was pregnant actually when I graduated. Okay. So I vaguely, I feel like that's roughly when we met. Yes. Yeah. So I, that's how I started with Mommy's Haven was during my last year of my undergrad degree. Okay. Like, I feel like I know that season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It seems like a long time ago, but yeah, because it kind of was. Guess it was. Yeah. Just a decade. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because I was going to say, how old is Jacob now? Yeah. He's going to be nine. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. That Um, makes sense. Getting getting old is weird and it kind of sucks at the same time. Um, So, okay. So, psychology, you're living in Lowell, though. Yes. At the time, right? Yeah, so we moved to Lowell um, right before I had my oldest. So I've been in Lowell now while well, she's 14, so okay. about 14, 15 years. Okay. Um, and then, so you, you finished your bachelor's degree. You got three kids essentially now, right? Yeah. Um, you're married, right? Or close? Close. We got close. married after baby three. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> you know. Hey. You got married at some point with baby just, September right. graduation, uh, I think was like late November and then married in December. Okay, cool. So yeah, it was a cool. busy time. Yeah, that would I be. I feel like that's every day of my life though. Right. It just set me up for like the next 20 years. Yeah, I think so. I mean, people that can like roll like that, I, f- I feel like that's actually like a really good attribute in people is like being able to roll with the punches. Yeah. And if you see people who can like do it in just kind of like life when life's busy, I mean, I wouldn't say that life is like adversity, but life is just busy. It's Mm -hmm. hard. There's a lot going on, you know, that kind of thing. That when you're, if you can kind of roll with the punches and just work through shit, like, okay, I'm 20 and I'm having a kid and then figure out how to like do the associates, stay in, you know, make, get a job, like, raise the kid, like still make it happen, not make the excuses and back down from the challenge, but like still do it. Yeah. Um, when greater adversity hits later, real adversity. Yeah. Um, like having a kid, people act like that's adversity. No, it's like something you kind of chose this. Right. Uh, right. You know, <laughs> this it, was a foreseeable consequence. This was a foreseeable <laughs> consequence of, you know, of the fun times. Yeah. And so people always act like, well, I didn't choose that. I'm like, well, you did. Yeah. Um, but it, if you can, work through little things like that and just figure out that like not everything's detrimental, right? Not everything's going to ruin my life, you know, and you learn how to work through those. Then, then that same attribute allows people to do well in other areas, I think. So like you then going to get a advanced degree. Yeah. While raising kids, right? So four of them. Four. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so four kids and that's when you went to get your graduates, right? Yeah. So, husband, house, four kids, yep. graduate school. 
yeah. for psychiatry, psychology? Uh, it's actually in social work. Um, okay. But yes, it's uh, when you get to the graduate level of social work, it's like different social work than I think that we do day to day at Mommy's Haven. Okay. Um, it's more therapeutic and clinical. Mm. Um, at least that's the route that I'll be taking. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was a battle. I had gotten into a Ph.D. program um, and this master's program. And, you know, I always say timing's funny. I have literally the worst timing in life with everything. Like nothing goes smoothly. My realtor um, calls it Katie luck. Um, just like that I have that that term coined after me because things are just always chaos and then it works out. But it's yeah. it's definitely chaos. Um but it just so happened that I had gotten the acceptance to this PhD program during midterms week, my first semester of grad school. And I just like looked at myself and I was like, no, no, I, I'm okay. I'm okay with a master's degree. Yeah, I know, right, you right. know, I don't, this five years of this, no, no, I'm, I'm good. And, you know, God bless the people that do go and, and do these full-time five-year programs. They're right. needed and... um I was excited about it, but um, what I've learned in the last couple of years is that the balance of work, family, myself, my friends, all of these parts of my life is more important than in five years, I'm going to be able to say I have a PhD. And sometimes I get a little caught on my own ego, you know, so I need to check that and, and really look at like, why do you want to do this? And the answer was, well, about 90% of the work I want to do, I can do with a master's degree. The other 10% isn't worth the five years of my life, Right. you know, so. It's good though. Cause like when we look at the pillars, like you haven't even been able to listen to the podcast, but like you get the concept It's like, we can get super overweight. I always talk about like in one of those and that's okay for a season sometimes right? because like for a season, maybe mom's not around a lot cause she's wrapping up a degree. Right. Um, whatever, but the whole family like signs up for that. Yeah. You know, if like, if a family does a good job of that, they'd sit the kids down and say, this is what next two years are going to look like and why. And you know what I mean? And right. sometimes that gets a little heavy and stuff, but set some expectations. Yeah. And... But if the goal and the end result is that it helps everyone, not just yourself or ego or whatever, right. then it's worth it. The you bank know? account sometimes. Um, <laughs> right. The bank account, right. The, right. The finance is one of the five yeah. F's, right. So, um, but that's good though. So you kind of knew this, I'm, I'm 90, 10 here. Like I'm going to get to do almost all of it. The last 10, though, is more my ego. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It wasn't a worthwhile trade-off for the time that you'd be giving up with the kids. I'm assuming family. Yeah. Whatever, all to of stay it. in school that much longer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause how much longer would it be than your grad school? It would have been four more years. Four more years. Full time. So right now. My degree is three years, but it's part-time and mm. that's manageable with a job and kids. And, um, I enjoy my social life and my free time. And, yep. um, those things would have been nearly impossible. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, in a single parent household, it's no longer two people running kids here and there. It was yep. me. And I'm like, I've asked my village for a lot lately, and this is something that I wouldn't even ask, you know, right. you don't ask people to commit to that. Hey, 
five years, could I just use you for like rides and stuff? And for like five years, right? Just five years. It's fine. Yeah. But I know you'll be close to retirement by then. <laughs> right. Could you take my kid to kindergarten? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So because it's full time. I mean, it's yeah. like a full All day commitment. downtown. So, uh, okay. you know, I'm not just driving to Gary or, you know, right. Hammond. It's it's to the city commuting five days a week. For school. For school. And then right. how do you work? You know, the best part money. about that program was they had... um some students in different stages of the program kind of talk to you about their experience and they're all like, you hold off getting married and don't plan on having kids. And I'm like sitting here going, well, I have four and a job. And, you know, and I'm like, how is like, they're in it and they're saying there's no way they could do it. Could I do it? I'll make anything work if I want it bad enough, but Again, that ego check a little bit. (laughs) You're one of those people that like um, probably bites off more than you can chew sometimes as as the saying goes, right? Yeah. I'm that way. Um, If I see a hole in the fence and I want to go to the other side, I'll drive a bus through the hole kind of thing, you know? Um, (laughs) Like you can't get through that hole. It's like, yeah, you can. It's going to be violent though. Right. (laughs) Everybody. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. And everybody around me is going to feel the wake of this, but it's going to happen. It's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. so that was, I mean, there was wisdom in that clearly uh, that made you make that decision. But so we've kind of jumped from you're married. Oh yeah. To, there was a lot of in, in between that. Suddenly you're, you're just a single mom, you said. So um, not that we got to dwell on this, but I think it's important in yeah. your story because when we talk about the early times fighting when Gian, Gianna mm-hmm. is born, going yeah. to school, learning how to work through small levels of adversity, big adversity hits in spring of 2020 yes like right at the time of covid right my kids came home or went back to school for two days before they were home for good wow okay yeah. so uh so your husband dies yes right um jake passes away um and now you go from like two family house income yes husband working helping out with four kids i mean you yeah. got four kids you need all the help you can get Right. Um, two single mom, four kids. Yes. Yeah. So that, uh, he didn't pass away from COVID just so listeners know it wasn't COVID, but it's tragic accident kind of thing. So, um, how, how does that shift? Like, what is that immediate? I, I kind of know, like I had a younger brother die Yeah. out of, like out of the blue in an accident. Um, but a perception from a, brother or a sibling to a spouse I think it'd be completely different in some ways and in some yeah. ways probably really similar but how does that like because were you in school at the time no 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 I was just working just working isn't that funny <laughs> like yeah. that's the standard we said I was just working and raising four kids yeah. um like that was easy right that was that was yeah, yeah. cake you know I think that actually that's a really great point. We got to make we'll come back to the topic, but like when people say his perception is amazing. Yeah. Cuz you can say, well, I was just working a full-time job and raising a family and being a wife and you know what I mean, all yeah. this stuff. And it was like I was just doing that much. And somebody else can say I just stay at home with the kids and I am like freaking out and there's one kid. Yeah. Right. And they're like, and I, I, losing, there's my no mind. Way I'm losing my mind and I got one and you're like, 
you're not doing much. And then somebody else then can say, well, you've got four kids to house the husband and like, that's it. Yeah. Cause they can be doing so much more. And right. I wouldn't say that like, I don't know, it's good or bad or whatever. Everybody has their, their journey. Um, but I think we're capable of a lot more than most people like, Oh yeah. Let themselves on to, you know, kind of thing. Like they could be doing more if they pushed or they wanted to. So many people. Yeah. And, but then again, you know, we reward, um, these people that are more like us that are, you know, kind of driven and, and always bite off more than we can chew. And that gets exhausting too. And, you know, like I always, I had somebody laugh at me one day because I said, you know, I'm just, my goal is just to raise like middle of the road kids. And they're like, what are you, what? And I'm like, the pressure to be the best at sports, the best in school, the best in all these things and to do it all right. Like, oh, my kid plays five sports and he's got straight A's. Like the pressure on these kids is insane. Right. right. I'm like, where is the bulk of of the community coming from? Middle of the road people like I want them to be good humans and contribute to society and nobody cares what grades you get in high school. And I might be condemned for saying that, but my high school teachers, friends, but um, no one cares. No right. one cares when you go into the workforce, what grades you got. Most of the time, they don't even care what grades you got in college if you graduated. They don't even know. Right. Half the time, they don't even check. Oh, you got a degree? Okay, we're going to trust you. Good to know. I mean, unless it's a professional license. No one cares. Right. So, you know, my point was I want my kids to be happy and well-rounded. And if that means that they're C students and they're doing the work and they're trying and they're putting in the effort, then they're C students. I'm not going to bribe them to get A's so that they're stressed out and crabby and I'm yelling at them to give them a $20 bill so they got an A. That means nothing. Right. Same thing in sports. Like, I hope you're good enough to get some playing time because I don't want to sit in the bleachers all weekend if you're riding the bench. Right, right. But odds of you being an MLB player are so small and those careers don't last forever and those guys blow their money. So none of it is going to create this happy life that you want for your kids, you know? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. um, People used to raise their kids more like that. Yeah. But then our system, because people forget time, history is a fickle thing. Yeah. It's kind of a funny thing. We went to school before to learn, before, I don't know how far back we would go here, but I'd say even pre-90s only. Now it's not that far back. Where like you went to school to get grades, to learn so that you could get a job someday. Right. That was it. There wasn't like there was three versions of the diploma that you got yeah. in high school. There's like the crappy, the middle and the good. Yes. And then nobody cares. Like you said, but like nobody knows even. Right. You know what I mean, what no you one got. cares nobody what knows, kind of cares. diploma you got. But it's like somewhere in there, we, we went like to thinking that like, you know, my wife's five, one Lauren's five, one I'm six foot. The likelihood that my kid is going to be stacked for the NFL, <laughs> right? It's, like, it's very slim. Very slim. So people are like, yeah, my kid's in football. And you're like, dude, take a break. Right. Because you're 5'9". Right. Okay. Right. And your wife is borderline dwarf. Yes. Okay? And weighs 100 pounds. You know what I mean? This kid is going nowhere beyond 
maybe the high school team. Right. You know, and it's like, let them have a good time. Yes. You know, and, and not hate you because you're trying to live vicariously through your kid. Yes. Um, so, but somewhere in there that got lost. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I don't feel like it was that as intense. It was some kids like that when I was in school. Yeah. Now I see that like a Everywhere. lot of kids, all kids. Like are, I feel like sometimes my kids are the odd ones and my kids participate in sports and you know, all that stuff. And I still feel like, you know, we don't do travel sports. We're not paying for private lessons. You know, my kids have downtime and they run around in the woods by my house and they're dirty all the time. And, you know, they're playing with their friends. And I feel like that's kind of weird for a lot of people because they're like on these schedules. And we used to live like that. When we only had one kid in things, it's easy to live like that. Your whole world revolves around them. But when it got to a point where I was like, they're, they've outnumbered me now. Mm -hmm. And definitely now, you know, this last year and a half where it's four to one, I've just gone, you guys got to give me a break. Like we have to figure out a balance because I'm not going to spend my life running. I'm not, you know, I still thank God I have um, an amazing support system and people are always happy to help with rides and stuff. But one person cannot do it all for four people. Right. That, and if you try, run yourself right into the ground. Yeah. So, so now going back to kind of the adversity, how do you handle that? When we, when we look at faith, family, finances, um, fitness, I noticed was something that shifted in your life at the time, yeah. at least more publicly. Um, and some people work out, but then some people like really show that they're working out. You yeah. Know? And then, um, and then friendship. How did those, having those five, or did you feel like you leaned more on, you know, during that, that hard time? Like what? Yeah. So, you know, my husband dies and immediately there's, you know, 30 people in my house. And for four or five weeks, there was 15, 20 people in my house making sure that everything was done. Everyone was where they needed to be. Everyone had everything they needed. Um, I don't think I would have survived. I would have survived. You're going to survive. Somebody else dying has zero effect on your ability, your actual ability to live. Um, But I think I handled things and had the outlook I did and was able to heal the way I did and was able to thrive and have my children thrive because of all five of those. And I think if I would have been missing any one of them or I wouldn't have been able to rely on any one of those pillars, I think it would have crumbled. I think I needed all of that. My faith, you know, I knew that when it happened – Um, My faith didn't kick in like, oh, he's in a better place. You know, he's at peace now. Like that wasn't even part of the thought process. It just was, this is where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be here. And it's going to work out. Sorry, school alarms. Uh, You know, and it was a, a faith in that there was something bigger here. And that this wasn't going to be the end of me. It wasn't going to be the end of my story. It may have been the end of his. But, you know, believing that 
you know, I subscribe to the belief that there's a God and, you know, whatever that power is for people that it is bigger than you can see. And when you look back, things have always worked out. There's nothing in my life that has happened that I haven't gone. Thank God it worked out the way it did. Cause if it would have worked out the way I planned, it would have been a mess. Isn't that amazing how God does that though? And people, you know, you want one thing. We have plans to go in one direction. I mean, we're like hell bent for lead sometimes on that side too. Yeah. And then like he creates a shift that at the time many times looks like like a really bad thing. You yeah. know, you don't get accepted to the school or whatever, you know. And then later people look back and they're like, I'm so glad that that happened. Yeah. You know, because I wouldn't be married to my spouse. I wouldn't have gone to this school. I wouldn't have whatever, you know. Right. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's huge. So you had that element. You clearly had family and friends. Yes. So not just family, but you had friends. Friends. Friends that swooped in like little angels here on earth. Um, that's cool. You know, I was actually thinking about it earlier today for some reason. Um, and the support I got from complete strangers was incredible. Cards that were showing up, food that was dropped off. Um, just every aspect of my life or my kids' lives, every need that would, could have been there was met. Mm -hmm. Um, but my friends came in and, you know, grief does a weird thing to friendships. Um, you know, when somebody dies, everyone wants to, is their best friend, right? Like everyone's got these great memories of them. Everybody was so close with them. Um, you know, I'm sure I've been guilty of that at some point in my life. Uh, but what happens is when all that fizzles out, when kind of the, the magic, which is a really weird word for it, of being the friend of the person who died or of the widow mm-hmm. kind of fades away, right? Everybody goes back to their life. There's no more, um, there's no more spotlight on it. Right. It does a weird thing to friendships, you know, and, and I'm thankful for it. I think that I'm grateful for every friend that has come into my life, whether it was a friend that taught me a lesson or a friend that is, you know, the person that I'm on the phone with five times a day, um, And I think that some friends come into your life during different seasons and some are very short seasons. And some are longer. Um, and I think that things like death um, can change friendships. And like I said, everything that happened happened the way it was supposed to. And it brought friends that I wasn't necessarily super close with into my inner circle. Huh. And a year and a half later, they're still in my inner circle. And it pushed friends out that were a little bit closer to me. And now they're kind of on the outside and not for better or worse. That's just kind of the way it is. Just how change is. Yes. And it was a natural thing that kind of happened over time. And I think that everybody's just kind of where they need to be in this part of their story, in this part of my story. Um, But, you know, I see other 
people going through some similar situations, other women that have lost their husbands or vice versa. And I don't see that. You know, I just was talking to my friend the other day about it. And I said, it's hard for me. I'm, you know, always want to be available to any person that loses their spouse, even if it's just for something small that they might not know that they can do or whatever. Um, but it's put me in a position to where I can see the response to other people going through this situation. And it's been significantly different than the experience that I had. And for whatever reason, I'm eternally grateful because I don't think I, I know I wouldn't be where I'm at now. I wouldn't be where I was a year ago, you know, which was six months out from losing my husband. Then, I mean, at that point, six months later, we were, honest to God, happy and thriving. And it wasn't because we didn't love him or miss him, but it was because of the support we had and having those five pillars in our life that we were able to cling to. And family and friends were hands down probably the most important part of that. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, you you built a tribe around you before yeah. And then when something happens, that tribe was already there. Like yes. you, you know, you already had that element going. Sometimes I think when <clears throat> that's the point of talking about this is to highlight, like wherever you're at right now, like evaluate these five areas Yes, and then like go beef up the ones that are probably that you feel like you're lacking in, you know, um, because it was, those five things had to be pretty healthy before Jake passed. So that when he passed, the friends came, the family came, you know, it'd be one yeah. thing if you never, if you neglected all your friends right? and then all of a sudden he passed, they would have came, but it wouldn't have been as deep right? Or, or the relationships wouldn't have been as pure kind of thing. Yeah. And I think the year or so before he died, you know, we had kind of had some things go on and really kind of, that's when I sat down myself, like outside of my marriage, outside of our relationship and said, what do I need to do? You know, it's easy as a wife and a mother to kind of put yourself on the back burner. You want to meet everybody else's needs. Sometimes you kind of become a martyr for that. Um, And it got to a point where I kind of looked at myself and became extremely self-aware of the kind of person that I was, the kind of people I surrounded myself with, the values that I held, um, and the reasons behind the things I was doing. Uh, because if you would have asked me six months before that, I probably would have given you some story and you would have been like, oh yeah, that's really tough. But it wasn't, you know, it, and because of that, I worked really hard that entire year on, Focusing on those areas, spending more time with friends, prioritizing myself, um, getting my life in line. Because, you know, as a parent, you're always, I want to make sure my kids are okay, okay, okay. But if you're not, if you're lacking in those areas, you can't make sure anybody's okay. You know, like on the plane, they tell you, put your oxygen mask on first. Because if you're gasping for breath, you can't put it on your kids. Right. You know, and, and I look at life like that. Like I have to take care of me first because if I don't take care of me, I don't have anything to give everybody else. I'm a big fan of of, of what's called objectivism. 
which is uh, kind of Ayn Rand's philosophy on life. She was a Russian lady who wrote uh, the book Alice Shrugged and <clears throat> a bunch of other stuff. But she, the premise is really simple. Is like it's actually the opposite of where America is right now, and I think that's why we're having so much troubles. Is that altruism and like help, like this belief that like everything's about everybody else? Yes, actually will collapse your life. Yes, that does not work. One hundred percent. You have to. Jordan Peterson calls it make your own bed, and is like his twelve rules to success for life. He just says like you want to turn your life around, make your bed in the morning. Yeah. How, Take care of your hygiene, clean yourself up, get a better job, work on you, and you will make the world better. Better. Yes. Because your world is better. And then when your world's better and everybody else worries about their own little world, it takes care of society. Yeah. You know, but when you're always like pointing out to how these people need help and those people need help and who's going to help them, nobody, there's never an answer. Yeah. It's like, it's always just like a, dog chasing its tail it's like it's activity but we're not getting anywhere right and it turns into chaos and burnout right and I was kind of at that point That's you good. know I wanted to coach everything and be in charge of everything and go everywhere and do all the things and I'm like you know I have this beautiful family I have a dream job I have all of these things why am I not happy hmm. and then when I sat down and looked at all of those things individually and why am I doing them and, and what purpose are they giving me? And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. Like yeah. anybody would be feeling like their life is spinning out of control at this point, you know? Right. And, um, you know, it's hard to be self-aware. And Self-awareness is scary. It's terrifying. Yes. Like, hey, you're part of the problem. You know who's fucking up? You. you me. You're like, oh, yeah, every man. time. You're like, but why can't it be somebody else's problem? Right. I mean, right. I can, I just said this the other day. Like, I can convince you you're the problem 100% of the time. You know, I can argue any side of any point and probably win an argument. But what good does that do me? I'm an asshole. Right. You know, right. so being aware of your character flaws as well as the benefits that you are giving out to the world um is a really I am grateful for it and I am so happy that you know I had people in my life at the time saying hey you should take a minute and look like it's not everybody else and that I had the desire to have a happy, like an actually happy life. If you right. would have asked me if I was happy, I would have said yes. Sure. Now, being happy now, oh God, I would never go back to that. Right. Is that, do you think any of that was helped by the fact that you went to school for psychology? Did that give you anything that you kind of learned maybe more in school or social, you know? Yeah, I think a little bit. I think it gave me the the background knowledge to understand why certain people did the things they did, why things were the way they were. And then, but ultimately it was still, okay, well that it is what it is. You can't change. You know, we have this, this belief that we can change other people, that we are control of anybody else, but us is completely crazy. Which is why I think that 
whole societal idea that like we can somehow help other social groups is like really fleeting because it's that it's a it's like tell an alcoholic back to your point a minute ago you know how this works like tell an alcoholic they're an alcoholic you're an asshole yeah the alcoholic has to say i'm, I'm an, an alcoholic, alcoholic. <laughs> like they have to accept yes the challenge themselves that the, they have to take on the weight of like if i'm fat i you know i was like I'm letting myself go. I am fat. I have to lose weight. Right. Yeah. Your wife tells you and you're just mad at her for, yeah. These jeans don't fit. Right. You've been chunking up. There's nothing I can do for you. you. The jeans are the same. (laughs) But it's like people have to come to that conclusion themselves. Right. That I need to work on me. I need to, whatever, pay attention to these different areas. Yeah, and I think that as a society, as a culture, we've turned that into selfishness. Right. And how dare you take time to work on yourself? There are other people that need you. And I say this coming from a social work background and where our job every single day is to help people better their lives. But if I'm not looking at me as an administrator saying, am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for the organization? Am I doing this for money? Am I doing this for pride? Am I doing this because this is what's best for the people in our program? Then it's all loss. And and it's, it's not selfish to take care of yourself. It's not selfish to say, hey, I need to take a step back because there's something going on here and I'm not happy. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my relationships. Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's my finances. Maybe I haven't, you know, been paying attention to my spiritual life, whatever it is. And take the time and evaluate that. Like really, you know, I, I go to a conference next week and um, we talk about kind of this sort of stuff. Okay. And one of the points I make is sit in a dark room by yourself in a quiet, dark room. And just think, say out loud, what do I like? What do I like to do? What don't I like to do? Who don't I like? You know, what am I passionate about? Because most people can't answer those questions. You know, you go up to somebody on the street and say, are you happy? And they really think about it. Most people are going to say no. Right. Say, what do you like to do? That's everybody's hates when somebody's like in an interview. What are your hobbies? Well, I'm a mom. I don't have hobbies. You might not be pursuing those hobbies, but what are you passionate about? What makes your soul happy? That's not selfish to do and to know those things. Right. It, that, that objectivism of like that self, like introspection, if you don't take, it's not selfish because it makes you a better mom, friend, sister. Right. Because... You can be like, well, I'm not paying attention to me because I'm loving on everybody else. Right. Well, you give love from the overflow. Yeah. And if like you, you're empty, then you're not helping them. No. You think, cause I'm like, I'm spending time. I'm not, you know, I'm giving all my all to everybody else. It's like, yeah, but you're giving them all like two cents. Yes. Cause you're not giving them anything good. Yep. Cause you are not happy. They can feel that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you so see, you're not even being a good mom. Right. You know I mean? Like, I mean, truthfully, I, when I was at that point before my husband died, 
I was snapping at my kids for yep. stupid stuff. I had no patience. I, you know, I was just on edge all the time. And when I took the time to get myself together to really look at all of those pieces of my life, I stopped yelling at my kids. I mean, I still yell. There's four of them. They're loud. You got to get their attention sometimes. But I'm not snapping at them because they spilled water on the rug or because they colored on my cabinets. Kids are kids. If your expectation is anything other than they're going to be kids, you're going to be sorely disappointed as a parent. That's that's right. (laughs) You know, but I'm not snapping at them anymore. I'm not irritated. I'm not, you know, I have no road rage when I'm driving because I know that it doesn't matter if I'm five miles an hour faster. I'm not getting there really right. any quicker, you know? And so having this like peace when you're actually happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you That's feel, not selfish. No, not at all. And, and you, I mean, I think that comes from a lot of different areas. I think all five of the areas yeah. kind of t- are necessary. Like if you feel pretty good about yourself physically, you feel good, pretty good about your friendships when you're re- really using that self awareness in all those different areas. Yeah, and then when you understand, like you know, for Christians, if they f- really truly understand like Christianity, they understand like God's given me unlimited amounts of grace, so it's easier to hand out grace when you when you feel like you receive it right. in large quantity. Yeah, you know, you're like, I'm an asshole all the time. I sin a lot. Yes. And he forgives me. My kids screw up and I can forgive them. Right. And call, you know, and I think you, you can give from the overflow. Yeah. Like you realize you have that and it's easier to give that. So, um, yeah, it's just really self-awareness really. So that was, that was great. Um, so you, when do you decide to go back to school? This just hit me. When, <laughs> like, hold on now. When did you decide, like, how long after your husband passed away with four kids, single mom, do you decide this is a good idea? You know, I don't know that I could even tell you the answer to that. Graduate school was always something that I had intended on doing. Mm. Um, PSA, if you're going to school for psychology, you need graduate school to make any money, guys. Um, so now that that's out of the way, so, I knew that. Disclaimer, right? Yeah, you it's need like, the graduate degree. I love paid. every time I hear a kid that's going to school that's like, I'm going for psychology. I'm like, yes, make sure you plan the next eight years of your life around that, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and not that there aren't jobs, but, uh, you know, if it's, you know... Most of my life, my income was the fun income. It took us on vacations. It bought the things that we wanted and didn't need. And my husband's income paid the bills and, you know, got us all the necessities. Um, When you don't have that option anymore um, or you decide that I don't want to be dependent on that option because it's going to keep me sane, um, you know, you start looking for other things. And so I always knew Eventually, I wanted to go to grad school. Um, I want to say it was like sometime over the summer. So my husband died. He was a runner. Um, I hate running like with a passion. I actually did a podcast called Runner Mom. Runner Mom, I think it is. Uh, it was the fir- first podcast I ever did. And I just started running and I was posting it on a separate Instagram page. Um, I hated it. Uh, I wasn't good at it. I didn't understand why people did it, um, but as a newly single mom with four little kids, it was one hour a day that I was out of the house. I could either have complete silence or music or whatever 
I wanted. Um, and it was just a way for me to get myself back together, clear my head, um, and be able to give my kids everything that they needed. And probably time to think. Yeah. I mean, there's no time to think at home. No. And I kind of wanted to like see, is there something to this running? Because mm. runners, like runners love running. Oh, they're weird. Yeah. Like, they're, they're weird about it. Yeah. They're like, hey, have you been for a run? And you're like, Jesus. It's like, yeah. Like they're usually yeah. pretty hardcore. Like, and yeah. uh, Jake did like an ultra marathons which were like 50 k's and higher and i'm like like those people some of them run for like 20 hours straight like no thank you um when i first started i literally couldn't run around my block (laughs) and i was never in terrible shape i see i didn't know you hated it oh yeah oh yeah hate it oh my god i still to this day i hate running hate it um so but i did it Right. And it was something um, I, I truly believe it's my core that we have to do something we're bad at all the time because, again, ego, like I needed my ego checked. Running surely to <laughs> that humbled me right to my core. Um, you know, in life, things were fairly easy. You know, I had an easy childhood and I got through school with very little effort. Um, you know, I always had friends and I always had an amazing family. So I never really had to work hard. Um, you know, your firstborn's an angel. So even that was kind of cake. Like yeah. the second born will get you. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> My firstborn's an angel. Second, yeah. They're a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll survive it. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, she'll be a CEO or something. Um, but yeah, so I hated it and it was hard and I didn't want to do it, but I did because one thing I know that I lack in is discipline. Mm. Um, and so it was something for me every day that I would just go out and do. And if I did nothing else in the day, because now we're talking like we're prime time COVID, everything's shut down. My kids have been home from school. Um, you know, there's nowhere to go there. I hadn't even seen the inside of a grocery store in like three months because people were just dropping off food. I did not grocery shop. For That's a awesome. solid three months, like I was living through FaceTime, like my friends would go in and show me like the arrows on the floor and all this stuff. Cause I'm like, they're telling me and I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, you literally didn't go to the grocery store. I had no COVID. idea. I mean, yeah. The height of the lockdown is when yes. Yeah. Yep. And we hiked like me and my kids hiked 25 or 30 state and national parks during COVID. Um, and so any day that the weather was even halfway decent, we packed up the car and we went somewhere. Um, but I also ran every day, whether it was raining, snowing, a hundred degrees, 20 degrees. Um, and I hated every day of it. Uh, I still hate running, but I'm still terrible at it. Uh, so I do it. Um, I actually tore my labrum in the process. Uh, so that was interesting trying to heal from that. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point I had created a habit, right? Like it was enough time in where running was something that I did every single day. And I was blowing through, you know, five K's every day, you know, yeah. running 10 K's twice a week. And I still hated it. But like, once I got into a stride, it was just like my time. Yep. And so, um, I maybe just like despised it at that point. Maybe I didn't hate it anymore. I never liked it. I'll never ever say that I like running. Um, so then that was kind of a setback for me. I literally couldn't walk. Like I, I remember walking down the street to my friend's house. He lives a couple doors down and she's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, what? 
And she's like, you're walking so weird. And I could feel the pain, but I couldn't feel how Um, off my stride was until I saw a video of myself. And I was like, oh, maybe I should get that looked at. I didn't realize I was gimping down yeah, the Yeah, like I yeah, looked right. like my legs were uneven. <laughs> like I don't. So you tore your labrum from running so much without it having time to heal. Yeah, or, so right. I was running seven days a week and never had a down day. And, you know, knew I had like this pain in my hip and my butt. And, but I'd run through it because when I'd get warmed up, it would go away. Ah. And so then I could, you know, if I could push through that first like mile, then the rest of it was fine. And then I'd get home and cool down and I'd be like, oh, that's not right. I just were packing up the house and I found a box of like 50 of those breakable, like the squeeze ice packs because yep. that's how bad it was. I had to have them in my car because yeah. that was the only time I'd have any downtime to ice. And as soon as I did, it would like lock up. And then I was like an old woman. Like I couldn't even get in and out of my car. Like geriatric. <laughs> yes. like, so, but I mean, do you think you're running so much I mean, definitely need time away from the kids stuff, but was it part of your process for grieving and stuff that you were, that you went so hard into it? Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, You know, I definitely was more aware of, like I wanted, like I said, I was never in bad shape. I've never been like overweight or struggled with food, but I wasn't in great shape either. Um, And so I wanted to focus on that. I wanted to get in better shape. I knew my body could do more than it was doing. Um, And I wanted to be stronger. And so I was just kind of trying to focus on that. You know, I'm running. Now I'm seeing a trainer a couple times a week because I also hate going to the gym. Um, So I don't. And, you know, I have this amazing progress during that time. And I think it was healing. You know, there were some days I wouldn't think about anything. And there were some days that I would have a ton of time to think. And there were some days I just needed the quiet so that when I had to go home, I could process all the changes, you know, all the new things that were, um, you know, coming in the house. So, yeah, part of the healing process for sure. Um, it brought about some cool stuff, like the first podcast I did, um, some really cool relationships with people in the running world. Um, we actually put on a run, a fundraiser, um, last fall and it was really successful. And we created these grief kits for the school district to hand out to the kids at all age levels. Um, and we're able to donate to, um, a youth grief counseling um, service. And so running just brought about all these really like new and interesting, like avenues in my life. Yeah. I I still don't like it. Uh, once I tore my labrum, I went down to running. Well, I stopped running for about six weeks. Um, and then through physical therapy and sports rehab, um, I was able to get Actually, I ran my fastest mile, I think, since high school during that time. I only did it once, and I have zero intention on ever, like, trying to get a better PR. To be fast. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be fast, and I don't want to run far. Like, I just want to run a little bit. Yeah, I just want to run a little bit and do it, like, on an average, you know, 10-minute mile or so. So, but it was nice to, like, be like, okay, you can do this. I don't want to. Um you so became I, like a runner. Yeah. Like a real runner. Yeah. And I learned things about running, like 
how to get faster. And, you know, um, my sports rehab guy was like, do you want a runner body or do you want a sprinter's body? Because those are two very different bodies. For sure. And, you know, so then we started, um, it was necessary to heal taking more time off. So I was running like every other day at that point. Um, and then slowly we increased the time. I stopped looking at how far I was running and went to just time-based runs. Um, and then we started getting faster and, um, so it was like cool to see that like, Hey, you can run a seven minute mile or, you know, I don't even remember what my PR was anymore, but like, I wanted to throw up after that. Like, I don't want to be fast. Like it was right. cool to do, but I'm not going to be a sprinter. Right. You know, the most running I ever want to do is like on a softball field. Like, give me, right. give me to first base. Playing with kids. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, but most people in their thirties get to the point where they really can't even do that. Yeah. Like they can't run the bases and not get to the end and feel like they're going to have a heart attack. Yeah. Because they, they don't make themselves do uncomfortable. Things. I put this up. You said something earlier about your habits, comfort, this and that. I put this on my Facebook like oh, two weeks ago. And uh, the guy who played Superman, Henry Cavill wrote this. I uh, said, comfort is a drug. It's addictive. Give me a weak man or I'm sorry, give a weak man regular sex, good food, and cheap entertainment, and he'll throw his ambition right out the window. The comfort zone is where dreams go to die. And then I would I wrote that, like, stop everything that makes you comfortable. Get scared daily. Feel hunger. Like, I think it's important to, like, miss meals. Yeah. Like, feel hunger. Yeah. To, like, because it takes you out of a comfort zone. Like, we always just, we don't want to feel any pain. Right. Like, we don't, we're like, I'm a little hungry. Eat. Yeah. And it's like, no, we need that immediate gratification. We're always doing it. And, and so what you, kills me is like, we see that all the time in work. People get so comfortable in their discomfort mm-hmm. that even the option of like change your life, have all these things, do all these things. I would rather stay in the discomfort that I'm used to. It's predictable. I know what's going to happen. I know that I can survive that than all these other things in the world that are possible if you just do something that you're uncomfortable with. Yep. You know, be scared, be uncomfortable, do something you don't like. If it's not hurting you. I could go down that road for hours. Yeah. Seven, 16 years of being in business, trying to help other people start businesses. Naturally, I love as an entrepreneur to help other people start businesses. And it's nearly impossible. Because they just, they're like, I'm just, I'm comfortable here. And they, after a little time out of the comfort zone, they just want to go back so bad. Yeah. Because the fear, right? The fear. And fear is a powerful thing. Every time somebody's got some heightened emotion, not every time, a lot of times, fear is the core of that. Why are you mad? Because you're scared about something. Why are you sad? Because I'm scared about something. Why are you anxious? Because I'm scared about something. You know, and I tend to to live in a place where I'm just like, hey, it's, it's probably going to work out if it doesn't. And, you know, I, what's the worst that's going to happen? Most things in life, 99% of things in life are not life or death. Right. And, and when you start thinking like that, like this decision isn't life or death. So does it really matter? Right. Is this going to significantly impact my life in 10 years? Because most of the decisions I've made in my life, I couldn't even tell you what they were or why I made them. No one cares. Right. And they don't affect you in the long term 
usually that much. Right. And if they affect you negatively, typically that's like a short-term discomfort. It didn't matter anyways. You come back from it. Yeah. There's not many, like I said, not many things are life and death. Right. Yeah, it's really powerful. That's its own giant conversation. About yeah, and I tangent com- a lot. So. <laughs> out of like getting out of comfort zone, making it, you know, yeah. just doing things that scare you. But I see it. That, that's what I, I think that's what I hate most about where the media is today in culture is you just see that people are just scared. Yeah. Because they're like, this is my life. This is what I'm used to. I don't want it to change. And they're like, we'll do anything. We'll let the government do anything. We'll let anybody do anything to us. As long as you say it'll go back to normal. Right. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't know what that means. Like you, you, if you really sat down in the dark room and asked yourself before, were you even actually happy? The answer is probably no. No. And, and it's like, so it's like, what are you racing to get back to? You know, how about maybe things are going to change and you need to change along with it, you know, but anyways, so, so let's talk about mommy's haven for you. Yeah. Sorry. So. Um, cause that's his own, that was his own <laughs> awesome topic. Um, but we can talk a little bit about mommy's haven, but I'm probably gonna have you and Lauren on just to do an episode, yeah. honestly, on my, on mommy's haven and what it is and what you, what you guys do and stuff. But, um, just kind of a brief, how did you come into, I don't even remember. I remember you were, I mean, you've been early to the game Yeah. when they were still like planning. Yep. So like, how did you find Lauren or Tracy or how did that go down? So it was my my last year of my undergrad, and I needed an internship to fulfill my degree requirements. Um, and I wanted something local, and I wasn't really, you know, at the time, my oldest was probably seven. Um, so the only world that I was really in touch with was, like, the kindergarten, first grade, like, you know, sports and Girl Scouts. And I didn't really know anybody in the area because – you know, I'd only been in Lowell a short time. Um, and I think I, I was scrolling on Facebook one day um, and somebody had posted that they were going to come pick up donations for this organization. And the way they had said it made it seem like now that I think back at it, I'm like, listen, if we're still driving around picking up donations, like I should have known then <laughs> what stage it was at. But I had no idea. I'd never been in the nonprofit world. Um so I reached out and um, was kind of like, hey, I'm looking for an internship. It needs to have some sort of, you know, dealings with psychology. And and um, so I had met with Tracy and Lauren and it was, I think Crystal maybe was the only, so there's like four of us sitting at Tracy's kitchen table and um, we just pounded out <laughs> policies and procedures for the next two years. Um, so I always say I'm such a fan of internships and um, I think people should utilize them more. You know, people go into school and they have an internship and sometimes, you know, you go in and you meet the minimum requirements and you do something that's maybe convenient um, in geography or schedule. Um, And I'm always like, do what you want, like see things, right? Like go out there and if there's something that interests you a little bit, like go do that because... Now here we are 10 years later and like I never thought starting this that I would ever get paid to do what I'm doing. Right. You know, because really for the next seven years I was a volunteer 
you know, writing policies and procedures, writing programs, doing some community outreach. And I loved it. And I loved the, the mission of our organization. Um, and it was a place in my life where I was a stay at home mom and it gave me something to do, um, you know, outside of the house or outside of being a mom. Um, and you know, the fundraisers were always fun and, you know, it was just a good group. We all worked well together. So what does mommy's Haven do exactly? And then how does your specialty fit into that role? Yes. Good point. Um, I forgot to tell somebody that the other day when I was speaking, I'm like going on and on. He's like, Hey, what do you guys do? do? I'm like, Oh, I forget. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we are a long-term residential facility, um, for homeless pregnants, um, or single mothers. So we take, um, moms that are pregnant and have nowhere else to go. We also take moms with young children if there's openings for that. Um, and our program is long-term, meaning 18 to 24 months. Um, some moms will come and live at the facility and they get a full range of programming. Every aspect of their life we have a program for. So their finances, their spiritual health, their physical health, parenting, healthy relationships, um, job prep, you name it. If you need to do it in life, life skills, um, you know, we have a program for it. Uh, and it gives them somewhere safe to live and somewhere to be supported to do the work because we're not doing it for them. Um, we don't parent for them. We don't discipline for them. We don't force them to do anything. Um, you know, there are requirements to maintain their spot in the program, but, uh, they have to choose to do that work. So, you know, about 75% of our moms have some sort of recent substance abuse history. 100% of our moms have some sort of mental health diagnosis. Um, you know, and at the beginning of this, um, organization, it was founded because they wanted an or an alternative to abortion. So somebody's pregnant, boyfriend, parents, whoever says, you know, either get rid of that baby or you can't stay here. Um, And over the last decade, that's just changed drastically. You know, babies aren't as interruptive as people once thought. Um, And so now it's a different world. So, you know, I always say every single board meeting, um, my job is to make sure that we are serving the needs of our community and not serving our own desires. So if we have somebody that's like, you know, just really, really pro-life and just wants this to be, you don't have an abortion, you come live here. Well, that's not the needs we see right now. We really don't have many people in that situation. What we have is, you know, sometimes first-time moms that just have not a great family support. Um, but a lot of times we have moms that have burnt every bridge in their life because of substance abuse, mental health, domestic violence. Um, so we've just kind of are always checking our goals to make sure that they're in line with the need of the community, which is why recently we started taking in moms that aren't pregnant, that have young children, because we were seeing this need of people aren't kicking these women out when they're pregnant, it's then they have the baby and then people get tired of hearing a baby cry or having baby stuff around or being asked to babysit. And then you got to go. Now you're disrupting my life. Um, you know, so I'm lucky to have a board that supports 
my vision when these things do come up and uh, trust me to make good decisions because, you know, we've had this change for a very short time and we already have a mom in our program that, you know, fits those parameters. Yeah. I mean, the girls, like you said, the stats on the percent that are not just single moms, but substance abuse or mental illness of some sort, like with all these programs, uh, mentoring, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Most of them are probably coming from a place, especially where you end up in substance abuse. I've learned this at least in my life with people. I know they've had substance abuse. They not always, but a decent percentage of the time came from like a background or family or something where they just weren't taught a lot about much. Right. And then they kind of, Sounds like ignorance led them to this path or something. 100%. Uh, so we we do a training for our staff um, called Bridges Out of Poverty. And there's a part of this training that says, you know, their world and your world are not the same. So, for example, we had a mom who came in days before having a baby. This was her fifth baby. All four of her kids have been removed by DCS. All of her sister's kids had been removed by DCS. Her and her siblings had been removed by DCS. She went to jail because her sister called the cops because she had more meth than the sister did. And this was a normal, this was just like an everyday occurrence. Yeah, it wasn't even, it wasn't even crazy to her that no. this happened. It no. Was just kind of, this this, this goes is on. just it. And no one she had known in her life had had a full-time job or, you know, did anything. They lived off of government assistance that they qualified for. And this was just the way it was. So we bring her into our program. She is doing great, gets a job right away. Um, But because she was two days from giving birth, she got a job after, you know, she had recovered from that. So now she has, um, you know, one child in her custody and she's going to work. And she quits a job that most of us would be like, oh, I could do that in my sleep after two days. And we're like, what is going on? And she's like, it's just too much. She could not fathom going to work for seven or eight hours a day, getting her and herself to her, her and her child to doctor's appointments, seeing a therapist, doing her substance abuse program. Like she couldn't even put it on a calendar to make it make sense. Mm. And I'm sitting here you know, a mom of four kids that's working and in, you know, has all these things going on. And like we talked about earlier going, what do you mean you can't do that? This isn't even much to handle. Right. Right. Like what is happening? And then, you know, I'm taking him and I obviously would never say that to a client and I take a minute and I'm like, this is my life and her life are so completely separate. Like it's not even in the same universe. So to her, This is extremely overwhelming because for 25 years now, she has known nothing but staying home, doing what you want to do, having all the time in the world, not worrying about those things. And now we're saying you have to work, you have to see a mentor, you have to see a therapist, you have to stay sober, you got to do the work to stay sober, you got to take care of your kid, you got to do chores, you got to grocery shop, you got to cook, you got to clean. And that is so profoundly life-changing for somebody Mm. that I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm really only doing like four things. You know, I got a kids and a job and, and now I'm telling her to do 18 new things, you know? So when you look at it and and step back like that, you're, anybody would be overwhelmed. Sure. 
And that's why I say people are get comfortable in their discomfort. She was more comfortable living in a place where her children were being removed, where she was using drugs, where she didn't know where her next meal was coming from, where she didn't know if she'd have, you know, gas money to get anywhere or be able to have any quality of life. But she was more comfortable in that because the work that it takes to change your life is significant. But she, um, she stayed though. She did. She went through the program, right? She did. And she's one of my favorite people on earth um, because she was a lot of personality and she would always like, she was just so animated and everything was just so dramatic. And then, you know, I'd come in and sit down and talk to her and be like, okay, Jess, are you staying in your hula hoop? And like, meaning, are you worrying about you? Are you worrying about yourself, your kids, your job? Are you worrying about everything else that's going on around you? And she'd just like sigh and be like, no, what I'm complaining about is not. And, you know, it's just like one phrase. And, you know, she worked her butt off (laughs) and she got custody of her kids back and she's still working and has her own house and, you know, she's doing great. And, and what I tell these moms is statistically the moms that come to us all live in poverty, right? They're never going to leave that. They will probably live in poverty for most of their life. We have a couple that come and, you know, have either like the personality or the capability for the education to be able to get better paying jobs. But typically they're going to stay in that, that poverty under that poverty line. But we teach them that that's okay, right? Like there is a way to live in poverty that you can have a happy and fulfilled life. You don't have to have a million dollars. You don't have to make 60 grand a year to be happy. If you can manage in the the things that you have and the amount of money that you have, if you're setting a budget and you're spending your money wisely and you know, you have all of those needs met and all those other parts of your life, you're still talking to your mentor, you're seeing your therapist, you're taking care of yourself, you're taking care of your kids. Like you can live a happy and fulfilled life and still live under that poverty line because we know the expectation for you're going to go out and make $100,000 a year and be able to support a family of five by yourself, that's completely unattainable most I mean, of the it, time. I mean, so far, when you're talking about going from using meth and growing up in a house where you get taken away from your mother and everybody's on government assistance, to think about if I made $50,000 a year right, and I lived on my own and I had my own apartment and took care of my own kids, that is like miles away right. from where they grew up. Right. And then her five kids right. lives, they don't remember that stuff. Right. So now their world is my mom had a job where she could take care of us, be at our events. She was sober. The house was clean. We were with her. Yep. And then they don't have to to recover from that childhood they any can longer. Step up from that level. Right. Kind of thing. They started a new level. Yes. Right. Kind of right. Thing. Because most people that are wealthy come from wealthy parents. Right. Educated People usually come from educated parents. You know, there's always those outliers, right, that break the cycle that, you know, are just the not typical. But even the self-made millionaire on average still comes from a stable home. Right. So they're like, even if you just look at that, it doesn't even look like demographics, um, race, anything else. 
they, they at least come from like a pretty stable home or something. There was a foundation. Yes. Uh, that allowed them to step from right. kind of thing. They weren't standing in quicksand yes. when they got started. So, um, and that's really what Mommy's Haven kind of creates, right? It's like, yeah, we try and the break foundation. the cycle yeah. and, and set up that foundation. And, you know, we are constantly revisiting our policies, our procedures, our programming, because we want to give these moms the absolute best that we can, because we know they deserve it when they walk in the door. And, you know, our goal is that they learn that they deserve it at some point during our program. Um, you know, but it's not a huge program. We're not, we don't have a hundred moms a year coming through the door, but what we do have is, you know, the amount of moms that do come through, whether it's, you know, 20, 25, 15, 18, whatever it is, those moms are changing their lives drastically. So we could get a hundred moms through the door and give them a bandaid and send them on their way. But five years from now, their life is going to probably look exactly the same as it did when they got to us. And I tell them every single mom at, at their intake, I say, you know, our goal is that when you leave here, you never need us again. Now, we will always be here. We will always be here to support you, to cheer for you if you need something. But our goal is that you have put in the work and you've worked hard enough and we've held you accountable and we've supported you and we've loved you and we've made you realize that you are worth it. And you have accepted that and then put your feet to the street and really worked hard. And now you don't have to need for anything ever again. Those those little things are not life-changing. Like um, COVID shut down my daycare for two weeks and I don't have childcare. I just got fired. Well, when you have a savings account and now I can pay my rent while I look for a job for a month, those things are not life-changing anymore. They're inconveniences. They're not problems. Right. You know, and that is really what we strive to do. Right. Challenges, not problems. My yeah. mentor called, he said a, a cha- uh, said a challenge can be fixed with money. Oh. Problems can't. Yes. He's, he's like, that's a challenge. You're having a challenge. I'm like, what? He goes, it could be solved with a check. He's like. Oh, I, I like now that. Now that, that's, that's a problem. A problem. <laughs> He's like that you can't fix with money. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, when I started to make the differentiation though, you start to realize like, hmm, how many challenges do I have that cost more than ten grand, let's say? And you go, not many. No. So figure out how to get ten grand in the savings account and you just eliminated most of life's challenges. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And, it, and done. And then now I don't have to worry about it. It's not even a blip on my radar anymore. Right. So to kind of wrap up, I think that's important because you or this point's important. You were talking earlier about how you had this like push through, do more, figure out how to balance more, make life happen. Yeah. uh, Absorb the overwhelm and can like turn it into like productivity. And then these girls weren't taught that, but clearly it's a learnable thing. It's not genetic. Right. Right. So like this girl who freaked out after two days at her job, now holds employment. Yeah. Right? Like it, it can be taught. Absolutely. It can be taught how to be a productive citizen. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, we we operate on this like mom first mentality, right? And I, I we tell all of them like your sobriety and your mental health has to come first because again, back to the selfish, if you are not sober or your mental health is at risk, it doesn't matter what we teach you to do. None of, it all goes out the window. Right. So, 
you know, we start with that and then we go through, there is nothing about life, you know, and I always say fake it till you make it. Like if you're sitting in an interview and you really don't know what to do, you smile and you, if you're pleasant, you're going to get hired most of the time. And unless we're talking about like a specialized job, like I can teach you a lot of things, you know, can I teach somebody to be pleasant, pleasant enough to get a job at, you know, Burger King, King, McDonald's, pleasant enough to get like an office job. Usually that's a little bit less teachable, right? That's a personality trait, but I can teach you how to answer the questions. I can teach you how to dress. I can teach you what to expect. I can teach you, you know, all of those things, how to schedule, how to know all of the things that goes into the logistics of getting to work. And then you can get a job. And then when that's a routine, then we can get a better job. When I have job history, I can get a better job. I can get raises. You know, all of these things in life, most of these women have never had somebody teach them. We have moms that come in that don't know how to cook, don't know how to do laundry, don't know how to clean. You know, you tell them to sweep the floor and they're literally like, what What do you you mean? You know, they just have never had somebody in their life go, okay, this is how, this is how often we should shower, you know, like things, so many things that people take for granted. Like that's a given. I know that I need to shower and wash my hair and put deodorant on and brush my teeth. And, you know, I need to smile at the person at Walgreens instead of growling at them, you know, like things that like, if you don't have parents, if you don't have some parental figure in your life, where do you learn them? Because they don't teach you in school. No, not those things. No, I mean, really, if you're like the grouchy, dirty kid that stinks and isn't pleasant, you're just by yourself. Then I think you learn even less, right? Because yeah, you get like pushed out. Right, you're ostracized. Right. And so it's like if somebody doesn't take the time to teach people just how to do life, right? you can't expect them to be successful in anything else. Yeah, that's really powerful. And that's... um. I don't know. It's maybe a great point to finish on. Like if we're self-aware back to self-awareness of where do we feel like we're falling short, you know, in these different areas, you know, like, okay, how can I improve in these different areas? And most of the time we don't know, but that's the beauty of books. Yeah. The beauty of YouTube. People that, there's always somebody that knows more than you. I mean, you want to learn now you can YouTube like which forks to pick at a fancy restaurant. Seriously. And it'll, there's, yeah. there's a video on what fork to grab. I have know? seriously thought about trying to fix my son's dirt bike, like via YouTube, because I, you know, like I don't, I have no idea and no one wants to do it for you. And like, I, there's always somebody that knows more than you. And I love that about the world. Like I never want to be the person in the room that knows the most. That's like, the best thing about books. Yeah. Like I want to know more. Tell me what you know, your experience. Yep. It's the coolest thing that like, I always say about books is you got this person's life work of like their understanding on something sometimes really niche. So, that, you know, the book's about, you know, craftsmanship or, right. thing, you know, and, and then it's like they took this entire life and put it into this thing that you can finish over the weekend. Right. You can and take you just, with you anywhere. <laughs> you just absorb this person's like entire life's work right. into a weekend. It took them forever to write it. Yep. And I yeah. just read it. And now I know everything that took him 50 years right. to gain an understanding. Yeah, of. and then read another book next yeah. week and how smart you can become. And then you realize like, man, maybe reading doesn't suck. Right. Even though Audible. I hate reading. 
Yeah. But Audible's important. Yes. <laughs> I make myself read. Look at this beast I just got on George Washington. Oh, my gosh. But about that that looks like my DSM manual. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just a book. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I think it was a great point. So, I think, man, it's just so good. I think we're in a society that where we act like people like that can't change. Right. They just think they're not well, worth this it. This girl's like this forever. Yeah. Just give her some more assistance. Right. And uh, this is how it's going to be. It's like, no, she turned her life around. She has her kids back. She lives, she's a productive person in society and she's clearly happier than she's ever been in her life. Right. Because you can't not be. Yeah. You know, when you come from a meth house in this and that. Right. And you know, know, like there's still going to be struggles, but everyone has struggles. I don't care how much money you have, how many friends you have, how great a family you have. You can be in the peak shape of your life. You're gonna have struggles. Like life happens. The world keeps turning. And that's what I learned after my husband died. When I did nothing that that couple days after, but sat in my house with people, like the world kept going. And that was a really big humbling moment for me. Like I thought I had to be in control of all these things and doing all these things. Well, all of a sudden the world kept turning and things still happened and I wasn't involved in them. And I was like, oh, that's how I learned to say no. Uh. And Because I wasn't capable of it before. Right, that's good. You know, and so that keeps going and problems are going to arise from them or challenges. And, you know, but we can move on from that. We can figure it out. It's not life changing. It's just, it's just life now. I can still be happy. Like your attitude came on here and started calling me names. Like it's not going to ruin my day. Like, you know, if I go outside and my tires flat or I check my bank account and somebody stole all my money, like it's not going to ruin my happiness. It's probably going to irritate me a little bit. It's going to be inconvenient, Mm -hmm. but like my happiness is not found there. Right. Because you do the work in all those areas you build all that up. And then when one starts to crumble a little bit, you can take the time to rebuild it because all those other areas are stable. So now if I need to focus on my finances, because now I'm a single mom with four kids and luckily, I mean, you have financial advisors. He's great guys. You should really check him out. I do talk about you everywhere. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) But you know, like, you can take time to go, what do I need to do to get there where, where I need to be? The conversations we have. This is where I want to be in five years. This yeah. is the life that I want to live. How do I get there? What do I need to do now? You know, so that if there's a bump in the road, like for example, when I came to Mommy's Haven, I told Lauren no when they offered me the paid position. I said, nope. I was working in the IVF world. It was corporate. It was a much better paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I said, I like having a nanny and I like my paycheck and I like what I do. And, you know, there was like this calling on me to just try to be scared. I didn't want to leave where I was at, Um, but I did. And I knew it was going to be life changing. And now, like when people ask me what I do, do you like your job? Like, I love my, I'm getting my master's degree and I'm probably never leaving my job. Like I love my job. I don't think like people understand that. It's cool. Like to love what you do, you know, you love what you do. I love what I do for every reason, not just because the work we do is life changing and people, you know, come out better than they, they started, but like my schedule is flexible so I can be there for those four kids. 
I talk half my job is talking to people like clearly I can talk forever and I get to I get to go talk I get to go stand in front of rooms of people and just talk and be weird and like they think it's you know great and you know and I get paid for that are you kidding me you know and I get I get that that bit of psychology and social working because I still do the intakes I still do the exits I still do you know I have that client contact um but I get to do this bigger level stuff and, you know, I bring my kid to work with me. Like, she's like the mascot there. And I that's bring awesome. her. She actually calls it grandma's house. Um, I keep telling her that that's not grandma's not. house. But, you know, whatever. She thinks it is. So, yeah, we're just we're going to grandma's house where sure. my office is. I don't know. Kids. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there's toys there. And it is a house. Um, but, you know, like, I looked at the things that were important in my life. And, Having a nanny is great. Don't get me wrong. All you working moms should really push for it. But, you know, I wanted to be able to spend time with my kids and have a career and, you know, be there for all the things and be able to invest in my relationships and my friendships. And I get to do all of that and do the work that I love to do. And like, you can't beat that. When people say find what you love and then figure out how to make money on it, that doesn't mean like, oh, I love to karaoke. I'm going to learn how to be a professional karaoke. Right. Like, that's not what they're talking about. Right. Like, find what drives you. Yep. And people think you can only have one passion. Like, I'm passionate about probably 50 things. Now, I'm not going to do all of them at the same time. Right. You know, but at some level, you can still feed those passions and and have that happiness. So good. Cool. Well, what a fun show. So thank you for being on. Thanks. And is um, it like six o'clock? <laughs> no, no, it's good. We've we rolled and we had a, we had a great time. We had a lot. We went deep on some stuff, which is really, really cool. So anyway, so Katie Camus, so much fun. Thanks for being here. Thank you.